Sunday. So, um, I think as Emily says, we've just come to our conclusion of a little series, uh, Time, Talent, We're on Treasure, although in two weeks I'm going to add another T, actually. I'm going to do a fourth T, but we're at the third one then, and this is to do with treasure. So moving in very quickly, I'm going to read one or two verses from Matthew chapter 13, 44 to 46, and the hint of these particular verses is on the screen, so we just leave that up for the moment. So Matthew 13, 44 to 46 talks about hidden treasure, which is a title here. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden on a hill. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and brought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away, sold everything, and bought it. Now, when we talk about treasure, we very quickly might think about uh, the royal jewels and uh, stuff like that kings you know but um but often people will think in terms of money they'll probably think in terms of possessions the bible calls this mammon so mammon in the bible is not just money it's it's things that we would uh, put our money to and to greater and lesser degree most people or a lot of people you will know will think that money's pretty much the answer to everything or pretty much the answer to people's happiness. Now, to be honest, I would not be honest if I didn't say, even as a Christian, I like money. I mean, I do like money. I'm not going to lie. I do like money. And I would like the thought of having more money. So it's not as if I want less money. The problem is, is when we give money the wrong kind of place and money itself becomes our treasure rather than things that are actually even more important. St. Augustine says this, You have made our hearts, Lord, for yourself, and they are restless until they find their rest in you. So we'll never, nobody will ever fully find their rest in money, because God has placed it within our hearts that we'd only fully find our rest in him. And until we find him, we will never find our rest. Now it's been said that the average family ambition is to make as much money as they are spending. Somebody says a budget is a mathematical confirmation of our suspicions. Somebody says people can be divided into three groups, the haves, the have-nots, and the have-not-paid-for-what-they-have. Somebody says we buy things we don't need, with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. Somebody says that the aim for most people is to make ends meet, and just when you think the ends meet, the ends move. <laughs> Wendy and myself, when we go out, out of the house, whenever we go out, we always hold hands, because if we let go, we shop. <laughs> we even have to hold hands online now, because, no, no. Now, it's reckoned that if you have a good roof over your head, food in the fridge, clothes on your front and your back, you're already richer than 75% of the world. If you have money in the bank, you're already richer than 80% of everybody else within the world. 
Now, people say, don't they, um, as long as I have enough. But what is enough? In Lamentations, it says this, those who love money will never have enough. If your love is for money, you'll never have, we will never have enough. At the beginning of the millennium, the world's three richest people, uh, if you added their money together, had more money than 47 of the world's poorest countries. And 342 of the richest people had more money than half the world's population. That's mind-boggling amount of money. But the Bible says, doesn't it, a person's life is not made up by what their own, no matter how rich they may be. And encouraged not just to store up treasure on earth. Now, I have a friend up, up in the northeast who sold his business for £600 million. In fact, he's everybody's friend. Everybody wants to be his friend. Every Christian organisation and agency in the North East is his friend, wants to be his friend. And that's uh, the problem, really, because people treat him like royalty because he gives so much money away. (laughs) Maybe he'll give money to our project. And he does. He gives millions and millions. So it's not wrong to be rich. It's not wrong to have a lot of money because it's actually a gift to give, isn't it? And he has the gift of giving. But a person's life is not made up from what they own. Now, the Bible gives incredible wisdom about money. In fact, they reckon that Jesus talked about money probably more than any other subject. Money is a big feature in the Bible. And, and it talks about tithing, talks about giving generously. And we're going to read a passage from uh, Malachi chapter 3. So this is the last book in the Old Testament. This is the second to last chapter in the Old Testament. And we're going to read a few verses here because God is really talking about money to the nation in Israel and how their relationship with him is really shown by how they give or don't give, how they deal with money. So Malachi chapter 3 verse 6 and uh, we'll read to verse 12. I the Lord do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a man rob God, yet you rob me, says the Lord. But you ask, Lord, how do we rob you? God says, in tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty." Then all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. So in the Old Testament, it's quite clear that God encourages the nation of Israel that when they had their harvests to give the first 10%. So there tend to be two harvests. It used to be kind of a spring harvest. A good name for event, that, isn't it, actually? A spring harvest. 
and they'd give, give it the first fruits, the first 10%. Then later on in the year with their big harvest, then they'd give another 10% and it'd be an even bigger offering. And the reason that God wanted the nation of Israel to do this, well, probably many reasons. Because it was indicative of their relationship with God, but it went towards the ministry and mission of them as a nation. You see, they were chosen people. We are chosen people. They belong to God. We belong to God. They were to be a light to every nation under the sun. And God wanted them to have a generous spirit and to be alive, to minister to the whole world. But the problem was they were saying, everything we have is just for us. But God had given them a higher calling than to be selfish. Now people will talk often, and I understand the discussion that tithing the 10% was in the Old Testament, that it was a command and it was part of the law. But a friend of mine, Andy Hawthorne, who heads up the Message Trust in Manchester, did a great work with uh, young offenders and uh, the poor. Uh, they do a lot of work in schools. And he would say this. If they gave the 10% in Old Testament times, as people who belong to Christ, why would we want to give anything less? Why would we want to give anything less because he talks about doesn't it how with jesus we have a better covenant a newer covenant the work of the spirit is even more glorious than when god gave moses the ten commandments it says that in corinthians that the ten commandments was glorious god couldn't moses couldn't look into the face of um you know people couldn't look into the face of moses because that encounter was so glorious and but basically he's saying isn't the work of the spirit even more glorious than that and we also have this confidence that the gospel changes lives so we might look back at the old testament and think well that was just a command it was part of the law and the old covenant well with the new covenant why would we not want to give why would we want to give far less than that and i'm going to give four reasons why you know being generous or tithing as some might call it is good for us first is this is because we're thankful We appreciate what we have. The Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver. He loves a cheerful giver. Now, it doesn't mean when the the offering comes around, you've got to muster up this big smile, but he likes it that we are cheerful giver, that we give out of relationship with God, not out of a command. But that in Malachi, this this chapter, this, this passage, this prophecy... It was saying that this, your giving is indicative of your lack of faith in God. This is indicative of your relationship with God. And Malachi, somebody said, was written to a very lax Israel when they were being very lax in relation to God and their responsibility towards others. Everything was going wrong. And the way they dealt with their finances showed this up. He says right at the start of Malachi in verse 6, chapter 1, he says, when you, you know, it talks about when, God's saying, when you bring the blind animals for sacrifice, when you bring crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor because he would not accept this. So why do you give me, you know, the, the dregs? Why do you give me the leftovers? This just reflects your heart towards other people and your heart towards me. Now, a friend of mine, I think I mentioned him before, a guy called Melvin, who used to be my boss many years ago, 30 years ago, uh, from Burma. But uh, 
And, uh, you know, he's a lovely, godly man, really good one-to-one uh, evangelism. And he was a, a bit of a musician, not much of a musician, really. That sounds a bit unkind, but it wasn't his main thing. But he did want to kind of learn to play the guitar a little bit better, so he brought a band, brand new one. He had an old one, brought a brand new one. Now, there's a guy in our team called Lenny who became a Christian on the streets. What I mean, he didn't live on the streets, but he became a Christian when we were doing mission on the streets. He did a year out with us. So he was learning the guitar as well, or wanted to. So Melvin was going to give him his old guitar. But then what transpired was this, is that Melvin, because he was so grateful for how Jesus had changed his life and uh, the trajectory that he'd put his life on, that he didn't give Lenny the old guitar, he gave him the new guitar because he just wanted to say thankful. It was a thanks offering for what God had done for him. Now, I'm not saying he gives away every new guitar, but it's something that stuck in his heart that he wanted to do And do you know, it stuck with me for 30 years, that you can give to God as a way of saying, thank you. And in the Old Testament, people did. They they tithed and they gave, they would give thank offerings. Just say, God, I'm just so blessed by your goodness to me that I want to say thank you. So we can be generous as a way of saying thank you. The second reason that we can be generous is because we can trust God. We can trust God. God, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so there may be food. Test me in this, says God, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. God promises to bless us. Now, I'm not saying that if you tithe today and give 10% of your income, then next week you're going to get 100% return. I'm not going to promise that. But what giving does... He opens us up to receive. You see, if we're people like Israel were, that just held on to everything that they had, not just money. If you hold on, what it, what it says is the posture is, is not to receive. But by giving generously, whether that is relationally, that, whether it is financially, God is saying you are open to receive. If somebody says you can't outgive God. It's better to give than to receive. And it's a posture of opening ourselves up. Now, in the Old Testament, the blessing came back physically. In the New Testament, I do think that the blessing can come back physically. But, oh, what spiritual blessing there is. When we're open, you know, God, we open ourselves up to God to bless us in any way that God sees fit. But when we're not generous, we close ourselves off. It's because of our posture and our demeanor. But God wants us to be generous and to open up. Now, in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 11, it says this. Great verse. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it an unscalable wall. So wealthy people can feel as if because I've got this amount of money in the bank that I am totally safe. It's an unscalable wall. But you know, as as well as I do, people who've fallen from a great height. Because of that. But the verse before says this, this is good. In Proverbs 18, verse 10, so the wealth think that their wealth is a fortified city, they imagine an unscalable wall. The verse before says this the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are and are safe. So it's not the bank balance that makes us safe. But the Lord is a strong tower. And we run to him. Proverbs 15 verse 27 says this, A greedy man 
brings trouble to his family. Do you know, money does strange things to people. Now, people can be strange anyway. But money brings out the strangeness in people. People can be crazy over money. And people can make bad decisions. People can make corrupt decisions when they love money. People can kind of falsify their tax returns just because of this. You know, godly people will falsify tax returns just because money does strange things for us. People make bad and awkward decisions. And the problem is, when money becomes awkward, we pass that awkwardness on to those close to us. It's amazing what money can do to families when the view is not quite right. So a greedy man brings trouble to his family. Now as a young couple, Wendy and I used to be a young couple. Wendy's still young, she still looks young. But we used to be a young couple. And we wondered whether we could afford to have children. Now we weren't going to buy them, we weren't going to buy them. (laughs) But could we afford to have children? Because Wendy was working part-time, I lived by faith, and hints, and uh, around that time. Our income wasn't great. Could we afford to have children? Now they reckon that to bring up a child up to the age of 18 costs about £200,000. Now, let me say this, it costs more when they leave home. (laughs) Can we afford to have children and give generously? That was the point. Could we afford to have children and to give generously? And as word of testimony, we felt that God given us these particular verses from Psalm 37, Wendy particularly, that says this very shortly. I was young and now I am old. Forget that bit. I'm young and now I'm old. Yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. They are always generous. Their children will be a blessing. And what we felt God seen is that, you know, we could, we'd have children take that step and we'd still be able to give generously. And uh, the promise is they will be generous and uh, your children will not be begging for bread. Our children have never begged for bread. KFC, <laughs> McDonald's, new shoes, new jeans, holidays. I would love it if they just begged for bread. That's a lot cheaper. But not, <laughs> they've, been, they've been okay. And they've turned out to be generous as well. Turned out to be generous. I have a very generous wife. If you need money, go to her, not me. If we go into a restaurant, she wants to leave a big tip. I said, you can't leave that much. Sometimes I sneak back in and just change what she's given. and just Because it's just, why well, it's just too much. You can't give that. You can't give a tenner when you go to Greg's. Anyway, so. <laughs> but a few years ago, I, I, you know, my, my son and my daughter, they said, okay, Dad, we'll go and get the takeaway. So they went, they wanted an Indian. We got Chinese. And they went to get their Indian takeaway. And they said, I'll pay for it. So I gave them a 20 pound note. So they go around the corner, get this Indian takeaway. They come back. The takeaway I knew would cost about £12. And uh, they came back, started the takeaway, and I said, so is there any change? And my son says, oh, we said, just keep the change. <laughs> that's, that's very good of you to be generous with my money. <laughs> and give them such a large tip. But he says that they will always be generous. And you pass generosity on. We pass generosity on. It's a good example Israel had stopped being generous in every way he says that they were even defrauding their laborers 
of their wages, oppressing the widows and the fatherless. It's good even for companies to be generous. It's good for a nation to care for those in need in their own nation and to have a generous overseas budget. It's good for us as a nation. And even though we probably would say we're getting less and less a, Christmas, a Christian nation, less and less, it is still good for us. It is still good for us to be gen- generous. Because God says, I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops and your vines. You not lose their fruit. Then all the nations will call you blessed. Yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord. It is good for us as a nation to be generous. It's good to give generously in the right places with no strings attached. So even with our giving as a nation, there should be no strings attached. In the Bible, something really turned around and probably don't quite understand the level of this, where it says that some people even sold houses, didn't say everybody, said even some people sold houses, and came and laid the, the, the money from it at the feet of the apostles. We will not appreciate how um, significant that was against what was going on in society. Nobody was generous unless they got something back. They had this system that if you give something generously or some generous influence, then, then you, you were in their debt. Something would come back. So it says in the New Testament that they laid the money at the front, uh, you know, at the feet of the apostles. We will not understand how incredible that was, what a turnaround that was within the thinking of the society of the day that we give with no strings attached to do with what is right to do with. So we give because we're thankful, because we can trust God. Thirdly, because we're making something of an investment. So this series, uh, Time, Talent and Treasure, we can invest all three. We can invest our time, we can invest our talents. We talked about that last week, I think it was. And treasure, we can invest it. You know, I like the fact, and I'm not talking up how good that I might be because I give. I am really glad that some of my money goes towards making a difference. I'm glad that some of my money goes towards making a difference. Now, a friend of mine called Chris, who I used to play golf with up in uh, uh, the northeast in Whitney Bay, nice golf club, and um, we, there's a group of us, about eight played, and I was playing with Chris. There's four of us playing at that particular moment in time. And uh, he knew that I was a minister, and you have a little bit of banter and all that. And... Um, he was saying that, he says, Phil, you know, my sister started to go to church, and I visited her church. It's in Brighton. It's a big church. And he says, do you know, he says, they're really serious. Really serious about their faith. I think it's because the worship is really loud and people get into it. Um, but he says, mind you, he says, mind you, my, my sister and my brother-in-law, their, their, their marriage had really gone to pot and they, they started to go to this church, and somehow it just turned around. Something turned around. Now, it doesn't always happen like that, but he said, you know, something changed within them that was, that was really good. And then he, he, he wanted to whisper something to me, and he kind of looked around to make sure nobody else was listening. He says, Phil, he says, they're really serious about their faith, but do you know what? I said, what? He says, some of them give a percentage of their income to the church. No. Do they? Wow. So we had a little bit of a conversation about that. But it was interesting, he says, they take their faith really seriously. And I'm happy that some of my income 
goes towards the mission of the church. Now, most of our giving will be to Encounter Church, the first fruits. Uh, and I'm happy about that because I know that Encounter Church is looking to reach and minister to people of all ages in different ways and also to reach people in the community and further afield. So perfectly happy for the boast of my giving to go there. And next week, what we're going to do is, on our Mission Sunday, is look at the five areas of mission or mission agencies that we contribute to as a church. So we're going to cover them next week. It's quite exciting to get updates, some locally, some different parts of the world. But it's important for us to know where some of our giving goes and uh, the blessing that that is, not only here, but further afield. And I do encourage you to join us for the the hour of prayer online at 6.30 next week. Even if you don't normally come to our night prayers, just come on for an hour and pray for these missions agencies. Now, of course, some of our money as a church goes to our denomination, the headquarters. Uh, we kind of, a percentage of our income goes to them. And I'm happy for that because the four main priorities for Elium at the moment are these. They are mission, raising disciples, raising leadership, and church planting, starting new churches. So it's not a bad thing for some of our income, just so you know. So next week, you'll hear some of the mission agencies that some of our money goes to, and you also hear, uh, well, I also want you to know that some of our income goes to our head office, and they're doing some great things with that money. So we give generously, sorry, we give generously because we're thankful, because we can trust God, because it's an investment. And finally this, giving or tithing, I find incredibly practical it's incredibly practical because what it means is that you're organizing your giving you're organizing it you're not just saying well I'll see what's left at the end of the month or the end of the week Uh, I'm organizing my finances and uh, because the bible says give what you've set in your heart to give be organized with your giving not just what is left over now, I was fortunate as a, when I became a Christian at the age of 16. I started work. I didn't have a lot of responsibilities other than to buy my own lunch and go to football matches and didn't have a lot of responsibilities. So it was quite, I have to say, it was quite easy for me to follow the example of people around me who, who tithe, who gave 10%. It's not as if I couldn't have done other things with that money, but it wasn't too difficult for me to do it in many respects. Now, many of you will think, wow, 16, you must be at least... 46 now, and I am. That is kind of a lot of years of tithing. Just think what you could have done with all that money. You could have had a bigger car, bigger house, bigger wife, bigger... No, you could have had, you could have had bigger everything. You could have had bigger everything. Imagine what you could have had. I'm going to be in trouble. I must, and Wendy's sister's here as well, so I'm really in trouble. She's staring with me. You, you are smiling under the mask, aren't you, Carol? Yeah, she is. I know. That's the problem with masks. I don't know what you're really thinking. There you go. You seem to be laughing at that. Anyway, where were we? There's something very practical. There's something very practical about tithing. So the, God says, okay, when the first harvest comes in, 10%, when the second, he was very practical. He was, be organized with your your finances be organized with your giving I think that was the principle there now I accept here that when I you know even when I think of talking about treasure talking about time was you know challenging talking about talents is a challenge for people talking about money and giving is you want to get the balance right 
And we're all in different positions, situations, seasons, these financial responsibilities, um, but we, and we have to join the dots up ourselves. I'm not going to stand here and tell you what you should do. But the Bible says in James, if you lack wisdom, ask God. If you want to get understanding, ask God. But the Bible says this, don't just leave it to the end. Give what you've set in your heart to give. Be organized in your giving. That's what it's saying. That's what tithing helps us with. Be organized within our giving. And it's good to review our giving um, every so often, maybe once a year. And for some that you just feel, okay, yeah, I need to be more organized. I need to give a certain percentage of my income. Some of you might think, yeah, I gradually want to work towards 10%. Some of you have been giving 10% for years, and you're in a position to give a, you know, I just need to review my giving again. And uh, for Wendy and I, sorry, we've been talking about ourselves a lot. We're in a season of life that we, tithing is not so much a challenge for us. And um, we can give a little bit more to other projects and certain situations. C.S. Lewis says this, I'm afraid that biblical charity is more than merely giving away what we can afford to do without anyway. So sometimes there is a little bit of a sacrifice to giving. To giving. And often, as a church, we don't pass the basket round that, you know, we do it as part of our worship. And King David, didn't he, as part of his worship to the Lord, he says, I will not give the Lord something that costs me nothing. I will not give the Lord something that costs me nothing. Now, I'm not suggesting you be reckless or do something daft. But sometimes there is a little bit of a sacrifice to our worship and what we give to the Lord, whether it's talent, um, time, or um, treasure. But the thing is, it can make a difference. Now, in my previous church, sorry, I keep mentioning my previous church, the people on the welcome desk at the end would count the offering. And there's one particular month where those on the door came to me very excitedly because somebody had put a big check into the offering. Well, it wasn't a big check, it was a big number, you know what I mean? It was a big number. £9,300, and they were very excited because somebody had come into the money and they just wanted to bless the church. Two weeks later, somebody put a big check in, £4,500. Everything within me was saying, Lord, keep this going, keep this going. But they'd come into this money and within their heart, they wanted to give a thank offering. They didn't know that money came in at just the right time. Just the right time for us. It was really, really significant. And there has been times when people have come to me and says, I'm coming into some money. Uh, I think it's going to be this, and I want to give the church this. And, and, and every time I said, why are you telling me? Is they said, because I want to do it. Not just think about it. I want... I want to do it because it's in my heart to do. I want to make sure that I do it. No, I didn't chase them up or anything like that. But they just wanted to do what they'd set in their hearts to do. Because sometimes when it comes round to it, we don't get round to it. So that was such a blessing to them and such a blessing to us as a church. It can make a big difference. So there's a practical side of giving. The Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver. So please don't give if you just, you know... I don't mean that it's wrong, but if it really is something you don't want to do, please feel free not to do it. Absolutely feel free not to do it. Uh, nobody's going to check it. You know, it's, it's, it's really is up to you. It really is. God loves a cheerful giver. But there is a practical side to it. And I'm going to mention something that could be a benefit to you and for us. Because I don't know if you know that if you gift aid your giving, um, you can get 25% on top of your giving. So if you're a taxpayer, if you pay income tax, that is, 
if you, you can fill in a form and get registered, we can register you. So for every pound that you give, it will be pound twenty-five because the tax that you pay will be returned, added to it, if that makes sense. So if it's £10, it'll be £12.50. If it's £300, then it's a lot. Then if it's £1,000, then it's £1,000, it'll be £1,250. Then it's tax that you've already paid. It's already, it's already gone, and it just gets claimed back. So you don't pay any more. You just get back. The church gets some of the tax that you've paid, which is pretty good. Now, if you pay loads and loads of tax and give loads and loads of money, then it can even affect how much tax that you pay. But that's probably only for those who drive BMWs or something like that. So um, it's probably for any of those. So, um, but the point is this. If you fill in a, tax, a, a gift aid form and you pay income tax, that's all you need to do. Then every donation you make, the, the church can claim back 25% more. You don't even have to claim your back. So we have some forms at the back. There we go, well prepared. We can even send you one online if you email us. But it, the, the, the point, the principle like this is the tithing thing is be organised in your giving. Be organised in your giving. And this is a way of being organised. So you might think I've been mean to fill in a gift aid form for years. Well, actually, maybe this is a prompt in order to do it. So God loves a cheerful giver. Be organized in your giving. Finances are such a big area to us. The Bible talks about it a lot. It's an area that God really wants to bless us within and provide for us. So there's great joy, excitement. There's great testimony. There's great faith. There's a great impact through giving. And in verse 10, it says this, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. It just, you know, generosity just increases our testimony. Trusting God increases our testimony and it also increases the advancement of the gospel. So I hope you don't mind that. Like I said, talking about money is always a funny thing. I hope that you receive that okay and say, Lord, what does this mean to me at this moment in time? So let's stand together. Uh, Be good to pray into this and ask God to meet with us individually. And as a church, like I say, every Sunday when we talk about these things, we go away and reflect upon them and say, Lord, what are you, what are you saying to me? That's what we want. What are you trying to confirm within my heart and my mind about this subject? But it really is an area that God wants to bless. Let's, let's pray together. Let's pray together. Lord, we do come before you with sincere, thankful hearts. Lord, we thank you that you've opened up our hearts to you. Lord, we thank you that you've brought incredible amount of rest within our lives because of that. Even though life is not always easy. Lord, we thank you that you've called us to where you've called us, you've placed us to where you've placed us. Lord, we thank you for our continued testimony in you. Lord, we thank you for over the years for your provision for us as individuals and a church, Lord, and we do thank you for those who give generously to encounter, but we thank you, Lord, for your provision for us as individuals and uh, as families. And Father, we do pray for those where money would be a challenge at the moment, money would be a stretch, money would be a difficulty, Lord, money, where money is something that plays on their minds and their hearts and is a big stress area. We pray, Lord, for your blessing. We pray, Lord, for your peace. We pray, Lord, for your provision. 
We pray, Lord, for your grace. Lord, you, you are concerned about this area in the sense that you want to bless us, you want to reassure us, you want to provide for us. And Lord, I pray that over these next few weeks that people would know your goodness in this area. We pray that they will. We thank you for the many testimonies within this building, Lord, of your, your favour, of your goodness, of your provision, of your totally undeserved grace, where you've totally des- shown us that your promises are good. Your promises are right. We thank you, Lord, for the testimonies that we have. And Lord, this area of giving, we pray that you would speak to us, Lord. Money you spoke about in your word a lot. We pray as a church that we would be, you know, we'll be good to those that we, you know, we employ and those that we give to and the nursery that you've given us, Lord, that we'll be good. We'll be good stewards, Lord. We pray, Lord, that um, we pray that you bless Elim headquarters, Lord, and all the money comes in from 650 churches, that you bless them in what they do with it. We pray, Lord, that you, you, you challenge our nation to be good generous people and you promise to bless so Lord we do ask that as we take your word we take these thoughts we take these illustrations we ask Lord that concerning them it would be a work of your spirit within our lives Lord God we're open for you to encourage us Lord and also to challenge us we thank you for each other Lord we thank you for your goodness to us in Jesus name Amen